0: Friends, I love a good graphic tee, don't you? Did you know that I just launched my new magic wear? Yes, that's right. I have new designs, colors, clothing, cups, and hats. You can celebrate the love of reading by rocking an open-the-magic hat to the beach, a picture book my jam shirt to the gym, and sip your chai tea latte on Fridays like me in a all new All the Confetti Moments logo mug. Order today by visiting my shop at bit.ly backslash magicware store. Again, that's B-I-T dot L-Y backslash M-A-G-I-C W-E-A-R-S-T-O-R-E. All right, let's open the magic together and spread the love of reading all around the world. Hey friends, welcome to the Confetti Moments podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Hinshaw. I believe that picture books open the magic for all readers. Today, open your heart and let all the book feels in. It's going to be so much fun. Let's open the magic. Welcome to another episode of Confetti Moments. I am so glad you're here today. On today's episode, I get a chance to sit down with Win Fam. You all, you are going to be in for such a treat with this episode. We are going to talk about her book Outside Inside, what it was like to write this book during a pandemic, and what are some pros and cons of being an author and an illustrator of the same book. You are in for a bookful treat. Without further ado, welcome Wynne.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me on, Courtney.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Oh gosh, like really I am. It's such an honor. And I'm just so thankful for your book and I can't wait to learn more about it. And I'm really, really excited. So why don't you tell, <laughs> why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about
1: yourself? Um, sure. My my name's Lewin Pham. Um I've been making books. Oh gosh for over 20 years now um and i've made i think at last count i've made about 123 books i think that's the number yeah <laughs> i've been around for a long time i'm one of those illustrators i think who's um um because of because my name is spelled so strangely and it's not strangely but it's, it's hard for people to pronounce them, and I, I have a tendency to change styles a lot in my books um I've been around for a long time but I I don't think I'm as well known but it's it's funny I remember once attending um a conference where I was on a panel with gosh like all the big names in children's book illustration and you know people had won Caldecott and awards and uh they all stood up there and of course everybody knew who they were and they didn't know who I was um but when I went up I said well you know I'll bet you anything that you might not know me, you might not be able to pronounce my name, but I'm going to bet that you've got at least one of my books in your house. And I started to list off all of these books that I'd done. And eventually, everyone in the room had their hand up, which meant that everyone had had one of my books in their
0: house. Oh my gosh, I want to play that game. I did <laughs> <play> that game. <laughs>
1: It's a it's pretty out there now with them. Um, I think Princess in Black is probably my most uh, the, the most well known project that I'm, I'm known for. But I'm also the I'm the creator of the Vampirina series on Disney. <laughs> exactly. on the Vampirina and It's based on my books. I am um I do a lot of books with Shannon Hale. We do the graphic novel series together. Um, I've just, I've been around for a really long time. I've worked with a lot of big names, but like I said, I, I have a tendency to change my style a lot. So I, I think people don't really readily identify me with any one particular style.
0: I think that's special. I think that like makes you like current and unique and new and I love your name. So I teach in a district where a lot of my students have names that are not familiar with to me at first. And I just love like hearing the story of names and learning like the origin of names. Do you, is your name special for something? Does it mean something special?
1: <laughs> my mother has told me that it means little brown bird, but I'm not sure that I believe her. <laughs> she says, she says a lot of stories and I'm not sure that they're always true. Um, but what I, I find really funny about my name is that i um, I remember when I first started in illustration, uh, my my editors, I was sort of talking to them about like, my name is kind of difficult to pronounce. Do you think that's gonna be a problem? And my first editor was really candid and she said, well, it might be a problem, but you know, you're, you're really gonna know that you've made it when people can pronounce your name. And in the last, I wanna say in the last three years to every event that I've gone to, people have pronounced it perfectly well. And I was able to contact my editor and say, guess what? I think officially by, by your standard, I've made it because people can pronounce my name now. So it's, it's been nice. It's, I feel like I've been doing this for 20 years and and I've just managed to educate people on how to say a Vietnamese name, which is, which is great. I think it's a, it's a good thing I, to have.
0: I love that. I, um, this year I'm teaching sixth grade and we have graduation next week and I have every day. I like ask my students, okay, say your name for me, <laughs> practice it, and so I'm, I'm almost there. Some of them, I'm like, hey, we're gonna have to write this phonetically. I love your name. I think it's so beautiful, but I'm not used to it. So but we'll get there. So yeah, so wonderful. So sorry, I digress. I just get so excited. <laughs> but why do you think picture books are so important?
1: Oh, gosh, I've been doing them for so long. And I, I feel like I've been, I've seen the effects that books can have on kids. And I mean, I have to start with my own personal story. When I was growing up, we were um, we were refugees from Vietnam, and um, you know, we didn't have very much growing up, and books were a real rarity in our house for sure. And uh, anytime that I actually ever did get money, and I usually got money by you know, sort of selling illustrations at at school. I would do drawings for kids, and they'd give me money, or I'd win money for the book fair um, and things like that. Um, I always spent it on books, and books were sort of my way to enter into the world, do you know what I mean? Especially what you mean? Yeah. But especially growing up and, and not having English as your first language, it was uh, it was a way to understand the world that I was growing up in. It was a way to feel like I was part of this of this world. It was a way to get into people's minds because you can watch a TV show, but you can't tell what's going on inside their mind. It's really only in books that you can understand thinking and thought processes and, and th- things are explained more. So books have always just been incredible for that. But Picture books, particularly, I think, I think people underestimate um, the value of, of picture books. When you think back on your childhood, you know you've got your memories of of these seminal moments in your in your life of when you, you know, learned how to ride a bike or you met your grandmother or grandparents or something big happened. Almost everyone has a memory of one of their favorite books. You know, that moment that, that's just captured, it's it's carved apart in their brain and it's just stayed there. And as a picture book illustrator, I take that very, very, really, I, I take that responsibility of understanding that very deeply. Um, if I, when I think about it, picture books, it's the first communication you can have with a child that's completely unhindered, meaning... When a kid is sitting there looking at one of my picture books, it's just me. It's just them looking at my books. It's it's almost as though I'm sitting there whispering in their ear. It's the closest you can get to a child other than being the parent. And I think about that all the time, that this image I'm making is going to be viewed by a kid. This, these words I sing are are making the synapses in that kid's brain and they're going to stay there so you sort of get the first chance the first shot at imprinting a kid's brain you know imprinting it with positive energy positive stories like i know that in in the world of literature you've got young adult and teen writers who are just they're they're just they hate it. It's so hard. It's a difficult field. They're always complaining about how how difficult it is to reach readers, and and then you've got sort of the middle grade chapter readers who are a little nicer, and then the picture book people. We're just so happy. Like the messages that we try to communicate, they're they're clear. They're about they're about. Um, making those making like the, the first imprint of what a, a good little human being is supposed to be if you know what I mean and there's there's just something to that that every time I make a book I understand that responsibility this message could be a message that's going to stick with the kid for the rest of their life let's make it a good message let's let's make those 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 things real because this is where a good human being starts
0: oh my gosh like and I I know people know like I can she can see me as she's talking and I'm just like Keep talking, keep <laughs> talking. Oh my gosh, like I so agree with you. I so, so agree with you. And I think it's so important for like picture books to be a message to kids of hope and of happiness. And other times, I mean, your book we're going to talk about in a little bit. Like, there's moments where when I read it, I felt sad, and not because your book made me sad. I just felt like, oh my gosh, like I remember that time when we couldn't go outside and what that made me feel like, and just the illustrations in captured my heart. And it's just so lovely to read, but we'll, we'll get mm-hmm. there. <laughs> what were you like growing up as a reader?
1: Oh boy, I was a voracious reader. I think it was just, um, you know, I, I couldn't ask my parents a lot of questions about things and I couldn't get them to correct my pronunciation. I, I couldn't get them to read words for me. Um, so I remember just, um, You know, when you're in second and third grade, when your teacher asks you to read aloud in class and nobody ever volunteers, I was always volunteering because I needed my teachers to correct me because I would say the words wrong. And I mean, to this day, there are words that still catch me that I I can't remember what's the right way to say it. Um, One of the words is. Ladle or ladle, and I don't know what's the right way to pronounce it. Is it ladle or is it ladle? It's ladle, it's, but
0: good it's job. It's ladle,
1: but it looks like it should be pronounced ladle when you look at the way it's read. And totally. it was one, of, and it's just one of those words that you know I, I was never corrected on, and so every once in a while those little words catch me out and and I remember it just zooms me back to being a kid again but I just remember as a kid uh, any recommendations that teachers would give librarians I was always their friends (laughs) they would come in at recess and they would always offer me the newest books and um and I, I think a part of me sort of hid behind books and then a part of me also found um found my identity in books so kids, when they started to realize that I could draw, they would come up and ask me to make drawings for them. And, and I remember making, you know, early comics when I was a kid and making stories when I was a kid and illustrating them. And it was just, like I said, it was just my way of, of entering the world. And it was through books, like everything I read, I absorbed and I needed it. And Gosh, I think back of some of my favorite, I mean, beyond the picture books, just some of my favorite um, young readers. It's its funny because now my sons are 10 and 12 and I've read through almost every single book that I loved when I was a kid, you know, and they're both boys and they have to tolerate The Witch of Blackbird Pond and they have to read you know, Anna Green Gables and <clears throat> all those books that meant something to me. Um, they've, they've sort of been subjected to as well. Um, but there's this.
0: I was just going to say what a testament to kids like I literally am going to play this episode for my students because how you talk about how you would raise your hand and let your teacher correct you and you weren't ashamed and you felt like (sighs) I want to learn I want to be a part of this process and I feel like that's such a good reminder to kids because I feel like every kid now is so worried to raise their hand or be wrong or be made fun of you know for not being like the smartest kid in the class and like I think giving your ideas to them is so powerful because you're going to be smart by putting yourself out there, by asking the questions and by being your own advocate. And I'm trying to get that message across to my kids this year. So I'm going to play this for them.
1: (laughs) And it's okay to still make mistakes. Look, I'm 47 years old and I still can't say ladle, ladle, right? So that's fine too.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, oh gosh, I make it so funny. So in sixth grade, we do world history. And so we've gone through all the civilizations and some of those names and some of the cultures. I'm like, I'm going to try, but like, I'm probably not going to go right. And the kids will correct me and I'll just say, oh, I'm thank you so much. Well, now we're in like the Christianity chapter and I'm nailing it. So they're like, wow, okay. You know, these words I go, yes, we all know different things. And that's why it's so cool. Cause we can bring all of our experiences to make new experiences and grow and learn from other people. So yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from. Okay, <laughs> let's start talking about your book. What led you to write Outside, Inside?
1: Wow. So so I wrote this book really at the, the beginning of lockdown. And I don't think I was, I realized that I was writing a book. I think what I was doing at the time was, I was, I was like everybody else, the entire world. We just, we all sort of went into shock, didn't we? I mean,
0: yes. the
1: world changed so quickly, so fast, it was it was literally overnight. And it was overnight almost for everyone at the same time. Mm-hmm. And something in that, I think, um, it threw a lot of my friends off. I mean, a lot of my friends are writers and illustrators and as creators, I know that people reacted differently. Some people became very depressed. Uh, Some people got very anxious and needed to work more. Some people suddenly found that um, in the publishing world, they couldn't get any more work because, you know, markets froze, the economy sort of froze for a little bit. Um, And it was just such a strange time. And I remember feeling like it's a little bit like someone had taken a chessboard and they'd just thrown all the pieces up in the air and we were still midair and nothing had landed yet. And that's that feeling of suspension, like nothing nothing was solid. And my my sons were home, my husband was home. We were fine for whatever reason, the way the, the pieces fell. We we were doing okay, my my um my career is, you know, I'm, I'm always busy and I'm always working on projects and I had a lot of projects to work on. My kids were able to transition from home um, fairly easily I mean as easily as everybody else has it I suppose and my husband was able to work from home but I was anxious I was nervous I remember my kids just fighting having to wear masks and asking all the questions and and what happened was we would start walking around the neighborhood because that's of course the only thing you could do you couldn't drive anywhere you couldn't go anywhere and we we would do our, our exercises by just walking around the neighborhood and my kids just you know asked a lot of questions about what was going on and um and I think through my state of shock, I've started just making observations of everything. I started observing um, what was happening outside. I was looking at windows, and inside all the windows, all these kids had made signs that they put up. I mean, do you remember that early on when kids would make these really lovely rainbows and hearts and they'd put them in the windows and it would be filled with messages like, We are in this together and we'll be okay and support healthcare work? And it was It was this strange moment where I remember passing these houses that I'd passed for, you know, five years, and for the first time I felt connected to the person in that house. Yeah, through that sign, it was, it was as though being told that we couldn't be part of our community, made our community want to reach out more. And that's what I, that's what I started to sense as we were walking around the neighborhoods. And, and then of course people started doing things like putting teddy bears up in windows and so that you could do those teddy bear hunts. Do you remember that? Like the bear hunts and there was, there was, there were these communal moments that, I couldn't believe how how much i needed them um the time at eight o'clock when you would go outside and everybody would share for healthcare workers and my sons got really good with making the loud noises and you know we, we would scream our, our standard screams of what we needed and thank you so much and um there were just those things that made us connect to people and at the same time you know we had to struggle through through four people on computers trying to go online to go to school, our connection was down. I was anxious constantly. I was reading in the news about what was happening all around the world. And it just felt like there was so much going on. And it was happening so quickly that I needed to record it. And initially, when I started to do that, I did it more as a, a time capsule for my kids, more as something that they could look back and remember, hey, at the beginning of this world catastrophe, Everybody came together. There was this moment where the world genuinely came together, and this was before politics got involved. This was before it became a signal—a signal that you were <laughs> on left or right if you wore a mask. Like none of that had come to play yet, and that was the world that I was recording. And that—those were the moments that I, I wanted to take down. And um, and I think it was that hopefulness that I injected into the book that has it's since changed. And I, I think one of the big things, um, the big uh, complaints that I get from the book is uh, it's too hopeful, but I wrote it during that time when the world was together, when we were really together in all of this, when you did this, not because it was, it was, was required because the CDC said it, we did it because it was our neighbor and we wanted to protect each other. And that was the moment I recorded. And I, I think that's why people got emotional with this book because that moment seemed to be forgotten, that the longer we stayed in this situation, the more used to things we got. We forgot those early moments and why we did these things to begin with.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think back and there's times even now I'm like, oh, remember those days when like, there was nobody on the road, there was no, (laughs) you know about California traffic. There was no California traffic. There was just like peace. And like, I moved where I live now about six months before the lockdown. And so I didn't really know my neighbors that well, but now we're like the best of friends because we would go out almost every night and sit in our like driveways and our lawn chairs and talk and hang out because there's nothing really else left to do. Um, But I, I kind of, I love what you talked about. So two things I kind of took away from what you said was the time capsule and I actually am making a time, ca- I guess, time capsule of like different picture books of this time, because I'm thinking when, you know, I'm a grandma, I'm going to say, oh my gosh, you know, remember when Grammy used to, you know, teach during a pandemic and she taught from her computer and all that. Mm-hmm. Like I want to remember this, but I also feel like even though this time was so hard for all of us, there are so many good things that came out of it for me, like, I, I learned, I can be a runner. I, I mean, I learned to like slow down a little bit because when you talked about anxiety and wanting to work for it, Oh, that was totally me. I came up with like 973 projects, <laughs> um, but I really think this book is going to stand the test of time. And it's just really going to be that sweet confetti moment that like, we all are like, we were all in this together. So I think your book is just absolutely lovely. Thank so you. We, you kind of already shared a little bit about this, but I want to talk about it again. What do you hope readers will take away from this book that you haven't shared yet?
1: You know, it's funny. I remember when um when I when I first gave this book and the first germ of this book was just a bunch of really rough sketches uh, to my editor, <coughs> and she was she before she'd even looked at it, she had said something like. You know i am not sure that i want to look at this when I'm, I'm getting a flood of of covid style books and none of them are getting it um some people are they're just too privileged and the story they're telling is too privileged and some people are making it you know um are telling worst case scenarios that people can't that people can't relate to she's like does your story have something that everybody can relate to what's the reason to write this story and i remember I was in the fuzz of the time and I couldn't think clearly. And I, and I honestly told her, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything in this book you're going to tell me. And if there's nothing, we're going to throw it away and never think about it again. And I sent it to her and she wrote back and she said that she'd started crying and that she'd shared it with the publishing house and, and everybody at the meeting started to cry. And she said, I think what you caught is the hopefulness and the, the idea that, this was a moment that was that was caught, that it's exactly like you said, that people can look back on, can reflect on, can connect to, because it exists beyond this time, that the message is not about the words COVID. And in fact, the word COVID and lockdown is never mentioned in the book, because what the story is actually about, what, what it was that was captured was how humanity came together, how we all came together as a community. And and grew out of this like we're not defined by our problem we're, we're defined by the solution that we came up with and that was what was meant to be to carry over that was <clears throat> the story that i think i was searching to tell that was the reason why this hopefully this book will last beyond this year it's it shows that we as human beings were confronted with a horrible thing and we were able to come out of it by by coming together and i i think I think when I look at a lot of COVID books now, and I have trouble myself actually looking <laughs> at a lot of COVID uh, books that deal with, with COVID. Um, I think part of the reason is because a lot of it dwells on what happened and how it how it, it, how it how it damaged all of us. And I, I don't think enough of them um, just showed how we made our way through it and why we made our way through it and how we came out the other end. And we will come out the other end. And I, I think there's... There's something to that, too, where (laughs) you have to remember that when I wrote the ending to the book, this was, you know, this was still when the CDC was telling us this will only be for two months and California will lift this lockdown in two months and come summer, everything will be back to normal again. And I I genuinely thought that by the time the book came out, the world would have gone back to normal again. And so when the book came out in January and we were still, gosh, do you remember in January, we were at the height of it was so bad, the numbers were horrible. It was right after Christmas, we were feeling the flux of, of all the, um, the the people coming together for our holidays. And uh, I just remember feeling that the book was coming out and we were nowhere near the end of the book. We were nowhere near that double page spread that shows this hopefulness. Um, and just now, I feel like we're starting to crawl through it. And I kept thinking, people aren't, are gonna be less receptive to this book. They're not gonna wanna read about this. And yet what I found was the opposite, that people, we're looking toward it as a way of looking towards the light at the end of the tunnel, as though remembering this is a season, it will pass. This too will pass. it, it It's a moment that will we'll go by. And we are being defined by this moment. And it's been a, uh, it's been crazy. So because now we're so close to that end of the tunnel, you know, people are getting vaccinated and California is nearly open again and the kids are going back to school full time in the fall and there's just there's so much to be hopeful and happy about and, um, and now I think people are looking at the book and they are starting to feel that sense of, of a full closure not closure but of coming in full circle that we are reaching that point of, of hopefulness. So I'm hoping that that's what people take away, that they remember those moments and that they um, remember how we came through it as as humanity, as humans all together.
0: I, I, I love that and I, I so agree. I, I remember back like around January and December and November when all the new shows were coming back on to like season because some of the production agencies were able to do that and I was like, I'm not ready to have all these episodes about COVID on Grey's Anatomy. Like I'm not there yet. Like we're still in this, but your book, I read it and I felt hope. And I felt like it's going to be okay. Like I understand, like this is, it's going to be okay. So I think your book is going to stand the test of time, but I do have one question about the back of the book. Is there a reason why you picked April to be the month on the back?
1: No, I, I think I was projecting into the future when I thought things would be normal, really. And it was a it was a stab in the dark. Um, and it, it was the intention at the time I remember thinking was it would have been a full year from when everything started Mm -hmm. and I thought that would be the completion of a cycle of a year like the the idea that the seasons pass and so we enter into this new season of spring with hope um and and that was why I put it in but there was no magical reason other than 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 something poetic the 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 idea that that you know April would come that spring would come again and, and that was it um but it's, it's funny. It's funny to pick through the book and, and see what did I get right? and <laughs> What did I get wrong? And and, <clears throat> and what works and what doesn't work? It's yeah. But it's oh, funny fun. that you caught that.
0: Well, my birthday's in April. So that's why I was wondering, I was wondering if, oh. if it was in April and then I was going to know if, when it was, but, oh, I just, oh gosh, it, it's so funny. I've looked at this book a million <clears> times and this is the first time I've actually looked at the back of the book. And I'm like, it's so cute with the yellow chair and the crayons. Oh goodness. Okay. Everyone, you just need this book. Okay. What have you done to foster a love of reading during the pandemic for your boys or for? did you do any author visits?
1: Oh man. So that was one thing that changed immensely. I I mean, um, as a children's book, as, as a children's book creator, part of your year is spent visiting schools and going off and, you know, going to bookstores and doing signings and going on book tours. And all of that, of course, came to a screeching halt and everything just went online. I had to go online. I had to create an online persona. I had to have presentations that would work through Zoom. And, um, and I know that I mean, I'm, I mean I, I'm a pretty social person, so it, it wasn't terrible for me, but you know, it's, it's a bit of work to, to transform and it's never fun to talk into a camera, you just don't get that same electricity that you do uh, being there with kids. Um, but you know, people turn pivoted pretty quickly and uh, publishers were able to send us off to do all these virtual visits, and I would always request the zoom visits where you could see the kids. You know, Even if you couldn't see their face, because most of the time kids don't turn their cameras on, but so long as I could see their name on there, and if I could say, if anyone's got a question, go ahead and ask the question, and then kids would temporarily turn on the camera and I could see a kid's face, that made all the difference to me to give those presentations to be able to connect to those kids. In fact, I want to say around October, November, I started to switch my presentation so that I would really invite kids to come on by saying, "Look, I'm going to do a drawing demonstration now. If you if your parents say it's okay and you turn the camera on, I will draw you." And it was the best way to get kids to come onto the camera That's and to tune in. Genius. Turn it on. Can and you, it was, you know on
0: tomorrow? okay, so-and-so, if you turn your camera on, I'll draw you. They would be like, your drawing will be really bad.
1: Yes, but I will still draw you. It was, it was good. I think it was, for me, it was really just to be able to see kids again, you know, and to know that something was was coming through. And it's funny because I think this book, when um, I did, I toured for it quite extensively, and I get asked to speak at a lot of schools for it. But I, I found that, kids are better reading this book than adults are. So the kids, they were able to point out in the images, this happened and that happened and, and I get that and they could see themselves often in the book, but it was the adults who were always crying when I gave presentations. It was the adults who on a certain page, they would just pause and, and I, I have not been able to get through a presentation with, um, a, with an adult panel without bursting into tears. I mean, I'm not even joking. It's, it's been that difficult. When kids are involved, it's great. The kids just pepper me with all the stories of what happened to them during lockdown. But for whatever reason, teachers, I, I spoke just recently at the um, LA uh, Teachers Conference, I believe it was on a Saturday and I spoke to something like 60 or 70 kindergarten teachers. And I was on Zoom with them and they all had their cameras on. And so I was able to see their faces as I was, as I was reading the book. And I remember at one passage, this one woman just burst into tears, and it made me cry. And of course, the minute I started crying, it's it's that's this the spiral effect. And um, and at the end of it, um, I I could barely hang on to myself. I was just, you know, trying to keep a straight face. And uh, a lot of the teachers were responding emotionally, and it was just with the teachers. And and I realized that the book, while it serves as a great dialogue point for kids, it serves as some sort of I don't know, like a recovery station for adults. It's it's something that I think a lot of people themselves, they're so, especially teachers, are so busy trying to prepare their child, their kids to make sure that they're okay, that they haven't figured out what's okay with them yet, that they're in confronting this at the same time. And it's, I think it's hitting a lot of people harder than they realize.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even when you were talking about the hope, I started to get water-eyed. I was just like, yeah, I mean, this book, it's true I mean I don't have any kids of my own but and I feel like I was pretty good like the first go-around but it started to kind of hit me in January because even like during the summer my parents still let us like come over as long as we were six feet away and we kind of were outside in the pool all summer and then once December came we did not see my parents from this we saw them Christmas Eve and then we did not see them again until after they were vaccinated and like that really hit me so I was like oh my gosh like this is everyone's everyone's dealing with it differently
1: yeah and you have to
0: respect everyone's way of dealing with it
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's i'm i'm hoping that the book mostly that it just it just allows dialogue to happen you know a dialogue in a in a really non-judgmental way like i i think i i did my absolute best to not isolate anyone and to not um, make anyone feel out of place or it it was just a it was very candidly but conscientiously written story to make sure that everybody was included
0: absolutely well you did a very very nice job so what are the pros and cons of being both the author and the illustrator of a book
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I love working with other people in fact one of my best friends is Shannon Hale and she's a, a writer that I work with a lot and um and we've done, oh my gosh, I think we've, we've done close to 11, 12 books now together. And there's just something, it's just so fun to go into a project with another person. There's like another energy there. And, and if you really like the writer, you really want to do well, you want to make something that's going to make the writer excited. So there's something, there's so much fun to that. On the other hand, I've illustrated a lot of books where I've never got to meet the writer. And sometimes the story wasn't what I wanted it to be or it was missing something and I couldn't quite get it there you know I couldn't ask them to change the writing or anything so I would sort of try to support it with the illustrations and it was always a little frustrating and I had to keep telling myself this is not your book it it doesn't belong to just you it's this other person's vision as well so so it's a, a really careful balance that you have to play to make sure that all that both the author's vision and your vision are are being represented um that being said when you make your own book there's no fear of that the words are not sacred in any way i can chop and cut and do anything i want and um and shove things around and um it's a little bit like i guess it's a little bit like cooking like if you follow a recipe and someone's very carefully written that recipe you've got to follow the recipe exactly right just to get it just to get it to taste exactly right. And the difference of when you write it yourself is you get to go in and you just get a room full of ingredients and you get to shove things together and taste test and see and and get a a result that's uh, probably gonna be a little bit different because it's, it's you, it's the flavors that you like. It's the things that you find interesting and intriguing. And there's something, there's a freedom to that. It's also a little bit on the lonely side, you know, <laughs> because yeah, I don't get to share it with anybody other than my editor. Um, but I, I have a healthy approach where I, I work with a lot of people that I really love. Um, I'm trying to make it my policy now that uh, I always know the author that I work with, at least get to know them a little bit. It's usually I don't know if you know this, but it's a faux pas in children's book world to actually know the author. The whole idea is that you never want to interact with the author because the editor wants your vision to be unobstructed by the author's vision. So you're not normally supposed to know. If you've been in the field for long enough, you can, you can be a lot more pushy about it and say, I want to work with this writer or such and such. Um, and I'm, I've, I think I've worked on enough books that I can sort of be a little more pushy and, and ask for those things. But my goal is the opposite of that now. I, I like to work with people whose tastes I really like, whose storytelling ability I really admire. I know that I can't do. And so now I got and I actively search for those. But that being said, I, I there's a lot of stories that I want to tell on my own as well, and it's it's just a matter of finding time to do it with you know kids and lots of projects and other other books to be going on with and series and oh gosh there's just <laughs> life is just too full these days.
0: Well, I'm your I'm your biggest new cheerleader because I am just like in awe of your work and it's just so like it's just perfect. I just I can't tell you anymore that how perfect it is, and you're just such a great writer and you speak to the heart and that's like big for me because I'm my sisters would always call me feelings and emotions when I was younger um, <laughs> but books speak to my heart and this one definitely does now I feel like after our podcast I am going to be going and looking at all your books and then get more <laughs> since how much I love this one so um something that I, I I ponder a lot about what the pandemic has done to readers I can even say in my own classroom you know, the book access has been a little funky this year and luckily we've had like Epic and other modalities to use, but I feel like on the flip side of that, some kids, I mean, have read so much because they've been at home so much more. So how do you think the year of the pandemic is affecting readers?
1: <sighs> you know, I can only follow by like what my, my two sons are going through. So my, my 10 year old has been reading a lot and I mean, we're a literary family. I've, I've got, you know, since they were born, that was the one thing that we bought them constantly were books and they have more books than toys, more books than anything else. And so my youngest son, um, he's the more social of the two, but when the whole lockdown happened and he couldn't see his friends and he's really active, he needs to, to burn energy off a lot. Um, I was really surprised to see how much he turned to books. And I was so happy about that. And, um, and he went in and... and he just devoured everything that was on the shelves and that was actually his way to get back in socially with his other friends as we'd contact his friends and say hey we've got these books do you want to trade and he would get excited because now the book series that he was reading was what his friend had read so now they've got that in common when they when they talk um so he he fared fairly well with all of that and and uh, spent a lot of the time off the computer and reading um my older son he's a computer nut and he loves to be on the computer constantly. And he also is a, is a great reader and he's a very fast reader, um, but we had to really get him off the computer. Um, and I remember reading um, how in this past year, the, uh, the level of depression among teenagers has gone up so much and it has such a deep correlation with how much screen time that they spend, how much they're on the computer. I think for girls it's because of their access to social media and the pressure they feel on social media. Um, but for boys, too, just the amount of time that you're on the screen and you're disengaged in other ways. It was enough for us to say, OK, you're on the computer because you've got to be at school for five hours a day and then you have to get off. You've got to read at least this many books during this time. And so we sort of forced that onto our son. And I feel like that helped him quite a bit because of the two kids, I think he's the one that tends to be that could possibly lean towards more um more worried behavior, worrisome behavior when it comes to depression and all that, Um, and he was forced to read a lot. He was forced to get off the screen, and I think I I know personally that books are what keeps uh, what keeps kids sort of um, internally thinking. You know when you go into a computer you're 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 too much concerned about what's happening on the other end of it whereas with the book it's a it's a closed ended loop you it's your mind projecting onto the book and then coming right back into itself again and I, I think that has a lot to do with keeping kids um, sane and keeping them all right and I was really worried about um, other kids especially a lot of Leo's friends who were possibly going through difficult times as well, to the point where I remember communicating with uh, the school board and saying, look, if I get together some books donated from some of my other authors, can we just Start passing them around in bookmobiles. Can we make certain that this is going on? And um, they put me in touch with the L.A. Bookmobile, which was really good about it. They took all these donations, and they were assuring us, yes, these are getting to the right, uh, the right places that are needed, especially with kids who don't have access to schools and don't have those same access. Libraries were closed everywhere, and um, to be able to just get hands into books into the the, the hands of kids was. I felt like it was really important during this past year. And I don't, I don't know how terribly successful it was in a lot of different places, but I know that there were programs out there. I just wonder whether or not a lot of kids were able to take advantage of that and what access points they had to be able to get those books. And
0: this,
1: this whole year, it's, it's a massive social experiment and it's going to take us a while to figure out what the effects of it have been and what they continue to be and how our kids are going to be surviving through this and. You know, and I, I can only hold my own family circle close and and see okay we're doing okay we're doing okay and and that that's helping and then checking out to my my extended family and then to like the kids at my my son's school and you, that's all you can do is within your circle of influence affect the people that are closest to you the best way that you can
0: absolutely oh my gosh you're this episode y'all oh I just want to like just say everybody listen because it is so good. <laughs> We already kind of talked about virtual visits, but I did want to ask, are you still doing them or do you think you'll go back to in-person next year?
1: There's, that's been a, a big talk in the publishing world. Um, I know that most publishers have said that their start date won't be until the end of September. And it's a very tentative start date. I think the the idea is that uh, publishers are concerned about setting up all these appointments and um, getting kids hopes up and then Another wave hits, or a variant of the flu comes around, and you know there has to be a sudden second lockdown. Um, so they're they're being very careful about it. But I think the word is that um, come end of September, early October, uh, we will be going back to in person visits. I know that I've got a couple of book tours that are scheduled for October and November, and conferences and uh, you know teachers' conferences and librarians' conferences um, are starting to offer open. Uh, in-person invitations again in November, in December, and then most of 2022 is looking to be all in person. So we'll see. It's just fingers crossed. I, I would prefer it. I, I really, really would. I mean, it's tough to get away from my family because I've been home for so long. I haven't stepped on a plane in you know 14 months, 15 months now, where I used to be on a plane every, every other week or so. Um, so it, it'll be a, quite a change to go back to that. But like I said before, it's you cannot you cannot beat that the electrical feeling that happens in a room with kids. I mean you must know that better than anybody as a teacher. That's just it's it that when you haven't when you've got that that disengagement, that that disconnection—it's so hard to get kids where you need them to go, you know. And yeah, the minute the minute they say it's safe to do, I'm going to be on a plane and I'm going to be in a classroom as quickly as I can.
0: I love that. I know I was looking up because I love going to like book conferences and NCTE in 2022 is in Anaheim, and I'm like, I will be there, like <laughs> the bells on. I'm so excited. So. I have a couple more questions for you, and these are kind of more just quick answers. I love to ask all of my guests, but what is your favorite book you've read this year?
1: Oh boy, I read a lot of books this year, um, and I'm horrible with names, but I'm trying to remember. Um, oh gosh, what was the name of the book? It's written by Madeline somebody or other. It's an adult book, sorry, right. and it's a re it's a retelling of Medea. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? No, like, it
0: sounds
1: lovely. Oh my goodness, I can't remember the title of it. Why can I not remember these things? Um, it's a, it's about her on the island and um, Jason. Uh, it's, it's like a, a retelling of a myth, and I can't remember the title of it for whatever reason. It's killing me right now. Um, let me think, what other books have I read? I'm looking around. You know, this past year, I don't think I answered that question earlier, but I read a lot to my kids. And even though they're um, older, I still read to them at night. Um, The older son, I've been reading, um, you know, more sophisticated stories. And this past year, we reread uh, To Kill a Mockingbird together.
0: Oh, so good.
1: This was, it was the perfect time to read it to him. And I remember this was, I mean, not to this to like an ugly memory but do you remember um january 6th around uh, the instruction when you watch what was happening on the news at the white house and and at congress um my my son and i had just finished reading um a chapter that related to it in the book and the next day we were watching the news and i was in shock and i was crying and i was saying i can't believe there's a mob going on at the capitol building and, and, and I'm, I'm just upset at this mob and my son points out a passage that we'd read the night before from To Kill a Mockingbird. Do you remember the scene where um, Atticus is protecting, um, is protecting, uh, um, oh shoot, I've forgotten his name, the, um, his defendant in um, court. Oh, what's his name, my name, my memory.
0: No, Mr. Radley, no.
1: No, 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 that's Boo Radley. Um, oh the the oh uh, his the, the defendant the poor guy that's got his arm missing and he's i he's, know and, okay i'm trying
0: um, to look it up online but we're talking
1: <laughs> anyway so he's defending him and he's this, he's a black man in jail and everyone he's going to be lynched basically and Atticus is 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 protecting him at night and his kids follow him unknowingly and a mob shows up to lynch this um Tom Robinson, that's his yes. name, Tom Robinson. Yep. And um, a mob shows up to lynch Tom Robinson. And I'm reading this passage to Leo, and, I, and I'm trying to, He's tr- he, he doesn't understand mob mentality. And he was asking, well, why are these people acting this way? Like, I thought these were good people. And I said, that's the problem with the mob, is that with the mob, good people follow bad intentions. But they're still good people, and they just are not listening to their better angels at that moment. And I'm trying to explain it to him. And the next day when we watch this happening, Leo points out what I had said. He's like, they're not a mob. They just have bad intentions, but they're good people. And it made me just stop and it made me not judge for a moment. And it made me just want to like breathe and want my child to be the president of the United States, you know, because he was he was the only one that could be generous at that particular moment watching this, this horrible thing happening. He just kept looking and saying, you can, you know, basically you have to look from the first side of the, the mob and, and they don't mean to be bad. Maybe they think what they're doing is good. And it was just, it was one of those crazy moments where I, I just felt like literature was was coming to my aid in my parenting skills. And it said the right thing that needed to be said at that moment. And it gave him a piece to be able to understand that what this mob was doing was horrible, but that, that he could still find humanity in them. And that was... That was something that I couldn't find within myself to do at that time. And it's because of a book. So it, even though it's not a new book, I'm going to say To Kill a Mockingbird is probably one of my favorite books of all time.
0: Yeah, it's. Oh, I remember that. Oh, I just love that, that book so much. What? Okay, so now going to picture books. What has been your <laughs> all-time favorite picture book that gave you a confetti moment?
1: Oh my gosh, you can't possibly ask that question.
0: <laughs> I know, and then so people ask me, I'm like, okay, this is my answer for this moment. Right now, I'm probably changing five minutes.
1: I know, I don't have one. I was so influenced by so many different picture books growing up, it's, That's that's an impossible thing. Gosh, that's a mean, mean question to ask. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, I can think of books that I've just, absolutely loved and adored and you know keep looking at over and over again um gosh there's just too many um man had i known this i'd have my like my entire pile out all I know is like how about this how about if i just name off some of like my favorite writers and some of my favorite there you go, can i do that all right thank yes. you <laughs> especially because i know half these people and if i were to say you know one book over another i think i'd get in trouble um <laughs> Um, one of my favorite, um, she's a fairly newish illustrator is, is Vera Braskel. Do you know who she is? Yes. She's the illustrator of, um, Leave Me Alone. And, um, she's, she's a really good friend of mine. And, uh, Didn't I just, she just
0: have a new book come out called Memory Jars or something?
1: Yes. Yes. It's oh, a gorgeous book. Oh, it's all over
0: book. Instagram. And I have serious FOMO because I don't have it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a great book. She's, she's, she's one of those writers who I, I just like her because, uh, she takes what seems like a classic story and then she sort of turns it on its ear. She gives it like a Vera twist, which I just love. So mm-hmm. any of her books, I I just I absolutely adore. Um, I love uh, all books by John Clausen. I've just always admired his illustrations so much. Um, Carson Ellis is one of my favorite illustrators of all time. Uh, she's she did is to duck. You know, do you remember that Caldecott Honor winning? Oh. <laughs> it's an odd one, and I think her latest book is a book called Home. Um, and it's just showcases a beautiful home. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, an illustrator from Spain that I love named Felicita Sala. And she has illustrated everything great lately. There's uh, a picture book called th- it's something about the octopus. Oh gosh, there's the octopus I think it is. It's written by um, Miley Malloy and it's illustrated by Felicitas Sala. And it's about the story, I think it's based on that story of the octopus that managed to escape the aquarium in, in Australia. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very funny, but it's, the illustrations are, are just beautiful. Um, the all time illustrators that I love, I mean, Maurice Sendak, of course, is a big one. Um, did you ever see the book, Sam Bangs and Moonshine by Evelyn Ness? It won the Caldecott, I think in 67. I look a lot towards female illustrators, like older female illustrators, because there aren't a whole lot. So, um, but she was one of my favorite illustrators of all time, Evelyn Ness. Um, anything by Barbara Cooney, I adore. Yes. And anything anything by Allison martin Robinson uh, is gorgeous. Um, Leo and Diane Dillon. Eventually, someday, I'm going to meet Diane Dillon. I think Leo's passed away, but I'm going to meet her someday. I hope. Um, there's just there's just too much. There's simply too many
0: books. I know. Out I know. There. Okay, I won't be mean anymore now. But I'm going to. Well, this next question, I'm probably going to be meaner. Is what picture book can you not wait to come out in 2021 or 2022?
1: Oh my God! Please don't ask me those questions. Um, let me see. I think. Dan Santat has a graphic novel that's supposed to be coming out pretty Ooh, soon. That's yeah, that I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, let me think. I know Shannon's got a picture book that's also coming out that I want to see. Um, Mac Barnett just recently put out a book called um, the, the Book About Margaret Brown. I can't remember the name. Oh. I know I can. I'm just awful with names, but the illustrator of that book is also gorgeous. I think uh, that book has actually already come out, but I haven't gotten my hands on it yet. Um, there's so many books by uh, new illustrators and new writers that I'm really excited to see. That that makes me happy that there's um, so many of them that are that are coming out. Um, <coughs> I also. Um, My husband is French. And so I get to see a lot of French illustrators that are coming over here um, that made their name um, over in France first. Um, There's that Canadian illustrator. Again, I wish I could remember these names. Oh my gosh, um, she's illustrated a book by Mac Barnett as well. And it was about bedtime stories. And no, I think it was called the book of why and it was a, a little girl asking her father questions constantly, why, why, why? And the illustrator's name is—oh my gosh! I wish I had it in front of me. You have to prepare me for these questions.
0: Well, I—I um, well, um, I will put it in the show notes so that because we, we'll all look it up and we'll okay. have it in the show notes so that it'll be on the description. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Wynn, it's been so fun talking to you, but I need all my Confetti Moments listeners to be able to find you too. So where can they find you to learn more?
1: Um, I do have a website. It's uh, www.lewinfam.com, but my name's hard to spell. So it's L-E-U-Y-E-N, like fancy, P-H-A-M.com. Um, I'm on Instagram too, at uh, at win, Lose, or Draw. And I think I have a Facebook page, but I don't really keep up with it. I'm trying to get off social media a little bit. (laughs) It hasn't been such a a lovely place to be sometimes, but but I'm still on Instagram because I like to post pictures up there. So you can find me on Instagram for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. And I know everyone's going to love this episode as much as I did. So thank you.
1: Thanks, Courtney. Thanks so much for having me. And good luck with everything too with school. I can't wait for it to go
0: back. I know. Thank you. (laughs) Have a good night too. Hey teachers, how are you? I am just so thankful that you have been listening to the Confetti Moments podcast. It is something that I love to do. I love to share my love of picture books and books and the love of teachers with all of you. And you know what I would love as well? Is hey why don't you share this podcast with another friend to spread the magic with them and leave a comment. Let teachers know what do you love about this podcast? What do you want me to share more of? I would love to hear from you. All you have to do is go on to wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a review. Thanks so much. And as always, open the magic. Thank you so much for tuning into the Confetti Moments podcast. I hope each story or tip that you heard today brings the love of reading into your heart. Take this confetti and sprinkle it all over the children in your classroom or home. See you back here next Monday to open the magic.